I spent the last three years learning from some of the most ingenious mergers and acquisition specialists around. And now I've decided to take the leap into buying businesses. The real questions are how will I do it? How much of the behind the scenes can we really show? And how can business owners like you maximize their purchase price and build generational wealth? This show is going to give you the answers. Join me and follow along as I share mine and other stories as we buy, sell, or merge healthcare businesses and physical therapy practices. I'm Dave Kittle, and this is The Dave Kittle Show. Welcome back to the show. We have Mike Finger back on the podcast, founder at ExitOasis.com. Today, we're talking about the 3D framework to exit your business for top dollar. We're going to get into the three Ds. Before we do, Mike, welcome back on the show. Hey, Dave. It's a pleasure to be back. Thanks for the opportunity. Absolutely. If uh, practice owners didn't catch the first time that you were on the show, just catch everyone up in regards to who you help and, and how you do it at Exit Oasis. And then we'll kind of get into what we're going to kind of cover and teach today in regards to the three Ds. Sure. I am a eight-time business owner. I've been lucky enough to sell four of the businesses I've owned. I still owned a couple and I've had enough failures to keep myself honest. The work I do now is I coach small business owners who are interested in preparing a, or having a business that they could sell tomorrow if they wanted to or keep forever. And really, that's the, that's the goal is to have a, have a business that works for us and that gives us as much opportunity as possible. So that's my focus and uh, that's what I do. Excellent. So let's get into uh, today's topic, the 3D framework to exit your business for top dollar. What is number one or what's the first D? Yeah, well, let's, let, let's start with some framework around, the, uh, around the, that picture. You know, we talk sure, about sure. exiting a business, we talk about selling a business, and the truth is that this is a, a, a topic area that's defined by complexity, right? Everybody who works in this industry, brokers, attorneys, accountants, these are folks that make their living off of mastering complexity. And so the problem we run into as small business owners is that we don't have time for that complexity. We don't have time to be experts. And so we tend to avoid the topic entirely until it's too late, right? I want to sell. What do you mean I'm not able to sell my business? And so this exercise for me when I first started looking at, at this, and I had gone through the process of building a business, trying to sell it, failing, changing the business. I had a successful sale, several different dances in this space. And I took a step back and I said, okay, how do I cut out the complexity? What would it look like if we focused on the core, simple elements of creating a business that you can sell? And so we really ended up with three basic questions that led us to that 3D framework, a different way to view your business. Question number one is pretty straightforward. Are your results desirable? That's the question. Nothing sexy, nothing, nothing hidden. If someone looks at your business, as if a potential buyer looks at the results that your business generates, are they going to say, I got to get me some of that, right? Are they going to say, I want that. That's attractive. That is desirable. Dave, how many owners do you run into? Do you talk to who want to sell their business, who think the value of their business is hidden in some deep formula or some metric or some, hey, I've survived 20 years or I've got this or I've done, 
I've worked in 17 countries or whatever it is that they think represents the value. And then you look at the financial and there's, and there's nothing there. Yes, often, very often, unfortunately. And so for us as small business owners, if we are looking for a simple way to start to evaluate the sellability of our business, we start with that basic question. Are my results desirable? Am I producing results for myself as the owner that will be attractive to a potential buyer? And there's really, there's two key areas in that. Then the first one is your seller's discretionary earnings. Now, Dave, I don't know if you've had opportunities in the podcast to define that in the past. Uh, Tell me how deep we go there. Uh, Yeah, no, we can certainly go deep. We've definitely covered that for sure. Okay. I mean, a a simple explanation, seller's discretionary earnings is the financial benefit of owning the business to a single full-time owner, right? That's what do I get in my pocket at the end of the day as the owner. And so that's my salary, that's the year-end profit. And then we start looking at the, uh, we look at the elements of ad backs. We don't want to, we don't need to overcomplicate that, but the basic elements are the profit at the end of the year. Dave, the profit at the end of the year, not the profit on November 30th that I then spend down and make go away for tax planning purposes, but the profit at the end of the year plus the salary you take should make up the majority of your seller's discretionary earnings. The higher your SDE, the better. The lower, the less desirable. It's really that simple. And when we were preparing for this, I mentioned, you know, net profit, net earnings over email. I said, you know, a moat or something special. It could be for physical therapy, for healthcare, it could be referral partners or location or this or that. But really, really, it comes down to the net earnings, right? It comes down to whether we're looking at EBITDA, adjusted EBITDA, SDE, seller discretionary earnings. It's really like what's the net earnings of this practice after, or any bit, any small business, what's the net earnings after all expenses, payroll, taxes, overhead, all that's paid, what's the additional cash there? And that's a really big component of how small businesses are valued and purchased. Absolutely. I mean, again, are your results desirable? The truth for most owners who sell is their buyer uses the proceeds, uses the results of the business to pay for the debt they incur to buy the business, right? So what we know is my business essentially buys itself. Those results that are generated are what get used to purchase the business. If you're not producing desirable results in the form of a seller's discretionary earnings, it's very difficult to sell your business. So that's element one, seller's discretionary earnings. The second element is your job as the owner, right? Um, If your job sucks, why would someone pay you for the opportunity to do that? And, you know, I I say that a little bit tongue in cheek, but I say that primarily, quite honestly, because I get a lot of owners that come to me and they say, I want to sell my business. And I say, why do you want to sell your business? And they say, because I'm miserable, right? I hate my business. And the truth is, is that buyers like happy owners. They, they want to be a happy owner. And the most likely scenario for them to engage 
is to purchase a business that has a happy owner, right? They, they have a job that allows them some flexibility that gives them the ability to go see the kids ball game, to go on a vacation occasionally, to do work they enjoy with people they like working with. Again, if your job makes you miserable, that is a tough sell to a potential buyer. So increase your seller's discretionary earnings, improve your job. That's how you create results that are desirable to a potential buyer. So because if you improve the quality of that job or that role or whatever it might be, then it's easier to be more attractive in the marketplace where then you might be in the position then of being bought instead of being sold. That's right. I mean, we we hear about a lot of different types of buyers in the marketplace, right? We hear about private equity. We hear about roll-ups, all of these different models. But here's the truth for the majority of small business owners. The most likely buyer for your business is someone that looks just like you. The most likely buyer is an individual who is going to work full-time in your business. That's the case for most small business owners. What that means is that they're not just looking at your business, they're looking at your life. And they're looking at what is it that they're life is going to become after they purchase. So again, the reality for them is if they look at you and it takes you 14 hours a day to do the job that you're doing after you've been in that business 10 years, they know their best case scenario is to be several years in before it only takes them 14 hours a day, right? I mean, you've got all this experience in doing this and running this business and it's still takes you that long, that kind of work. For those, for owners who are looking to sell their business either, you know, today or in the future, who have never experienced the transaction from a buyer's perspective, it's hard for them to understand how discerning buyers start to become about what the purchase represents. I might love the business, but if I look at how the owner has to run it and what that life looks like, and I don't want that life if it's not desirable, you get a no to that question. It's really tough to sell the business. Got it. Anything else to cover the results component before we move to the next step? No, I, I think that's it. Again, I encourage owners not to overcomplicate the question. If someone were to ask you, are your results desirable? They're looking for a yes. They're not looking for a maybe. They're not looking for a list of yes, if, or yes, buts. But are your results desirable? If you can focus on getting a strong capital yes or capital Y answer to that question, your ability to sell your business just improved. Excellent. Um, at this point, ready for the second D? Yes, let's do it. Uh, second D, second question. Can a buyer duplicate your results? Said another way, are you replaceable? I don't care how spectacular your results are. If I am not likely to be able to duplicate them as a new owner, it doesn't matter. So a strong, a strong yes to question one, fabulous. It has to come along with a strong yes to question number two. Can a buyer duplicate your results? And is another way to look at this transfer of value? Is that pretty much what we're talking about here? Yeah, I mean, it, it's transfer of... I, I think that's that's fair. Where does the where does the 
ability to create what you've created over the past few years come from? And again, like the first one, there, there's two breakdowns in this area. The first one is your team, right? Do you have a team of people responsible for creating those desirable results? Or is it primarily you? And this can be a tricky one for a lot of, of, of small business owners uh, in, in a couple different ways, right? What if my business is really small, right? Well, how can I have a team if, if my business is really small? Well, your team can consist of employees, subcontractors, uh, you know, outside vendors you work with, anyone who plays a, a strong, consistent role, and it, the more independent, the better, in keeping your business running, the better, right? I've seen car washes, as an example, in operation where the call for a breakdown goes directly to the vendor who comes to fix the product or to fix the machinery, right? The owner's not involved in that process at all. Now, that owner might be a standalone. They might not have a big team of employees, but they've created a team of resources that work together to create the results they create. So when we're talking about team, we want to make sure that the ability to get the job done doesn't just reside with the owner of the business. You know, Build a team. Do you have a strong team? Now, Dave, in the in, in the industry that you work in, how how big of a team does a does an owner usually have? I would say, on average, they'll have maybe three physical therapists, and then one or two front desk team members, admin staff, and then maybe one other individual or the front desk staff might kind of do some of the billing if they do billing in house. Some practices will do will outsource their billing to a company that just takes a percentage. So it really depends, but maybe a practice owner and then two or three physical therapists, call it two front desk people. So maybe about five or six on average sure. for a lot of offices. Yeah. So it's it's not a big team. So if, if I'm looking at purchasing that business and I'm looking at my ability to duplicate results, what am I going to look at? Well, what kind of longevity do I have with those employees, right? Have they been there three months or 13 years? What kind of satisfaction level is there? How it, you know, what kind of repeatability do I have there? So it's, that's hard when you've got a small team like that, but all of those elements, right? If I've got a team of five people who have been there for several years, who are consistent performers, who are independent in what they do, that's huge in my ability as a buyer to look at, at that business and go, I, my odds of repeating my results have just gone up. So Part of it is about the team, but then the second element is about systems, right? And when we talk about systems, what we're talking about is those things that live outside of someone's head, right? What are the procedures? What are the practices? Where are they written down? Where is it captured? If I buy that business with with that team of employees, that's great. But what happens when three of them quit a week later, right? Do I still know where the recipe is? Do I still have the ability to send in the billing because that procedure is written down somewhere? Those are the kinds of things that determine and give me comfort as a potential buyer that I'm going to have the ability to duplicate the results that you've created. Yeah. And I'm not sure if you know this, but there's a lot a lot of deals that are done in physical therapy through the two large companies in the country that are public. There's two 
publicly traded physical therapy companies. As far as I know, I think there's just the two. And then there's obviously uh, several other private equity backed regional or national buyers that are anywhere from you know 50 locations to several hundred locations. Um, a lot of those partnerships or deals, the buyers will acquire maybe 70 or 75% of the equity. Then the sure. owner keeps 25 to 30% of the equity to partly, I think, ensure that the results will continue. So it's like next year, we're going to do the same thing and hopefully more and grow it. So it's almost like they're hedging in a way of making sure that we can duplicate the results next year and the year after or the several years after because the seller in a, or the partner now is still retaining a meaningful amount of equity. Maybe they get bought out the rest of the way in a couple of years, in three to five or seven years or something. But it de-risks the situation. It de-risks the transaction a little more for the buyers. And at the same time, buyers like us, other buyers, we're going to evaluate a practice. We're going to look and say, okay, yes, we think with maybe we, we buy 100%, maybe we buy 70%, whatever it might be. We believe that we can duplicate the results. And then there's also like, what the buyers think of like, what's their operational excellence and their ideas are like, well, if we add this or if we hired this or they're not doing any online marketing or their website is not great and we need to improve the wording and the copywriting on the website or they're not doing any Facebook or Google ads to attract new patients. The buyers are also looking at that. Does that kind of fit into this bucket of the second bullet here, the second D of can a buyer duplicate results? Because buyers, I think from us, this is just the buy side speaking, which is like, we're going to look at a, a potential small business, a physical therapy practice, and we will then proceed forward if we believe that we can duplicate. But we don't always want to just duplicate next year or the year after. We will obviously want to grow it steadily, potentially even more so than it would have done individually with that practice owner. So those are just some of the things that we think about, which is, yes, we do want to ensure that we can duplicate the results. And also, what are the other levers? What are our areas of expertise where we can have more than 2 to 4% growth or, or 5 or 10% growth over the next several years? So those are the, some of the things that I think kind of fit into this bucket of evaluating the results and the buyer's perception of what can be done in the next one to five years. No, a great couple of points there, Dave. I mean, Sellers are often surprised to learn that the SBA often requires that a business seller retain some seller financing when they do a deal, right? The SBA will say, well, we'll put up, we'll put up 80% of the loan value. The, you know, the buyer's got to bring a down payment and then the seller's got to keep some seller financing. And that goes directly to the point you made because they want to know that that owner continues to have skin in the game, right? They want to know that that owner is going to have a compelling reason to answer the buyer's question, to support the buyer's efforts to do that. Why? Because the SBA and other financiers want to know that those results are going to duplicate, right? They want to know that that trend is going to continue. But then to your second point, and it, it's such an interesting dynamic from a buyer's perspective, because of course, I want to find a really healthy business to buy. But I know if I find that, I'm probably going to pay for it, right? And right. pay a rich price for it. So what I really want to find is a pretty healthy business that is broken in ways 
that I know how to fix, right? If my strength is marketing, I want to find a business that's operating well, except for their marketing. Or if my strength is operations, I want to find something that's got a great marketing system, but has a poor opera, uh, operation system, right? So it's it's such a strange shopping process for most buyers. I mean, I think first-time buyers are more on that straightforward, what are the results? Can I duplicate them? Um, the more experienced the buyer gets, then you're looking for those unique set of blemishes that you know how to correct for. And so, you know, I've, had, I've been lucky enough to buy a couple of businesses that I was able to turn around and then sell. And it, that was exactly that game. It's like, what what trick can I bring to this uh, uh, to this particular circus that uh, will make that uh, make those results improve? But again, at the end of the day, if I can't duplicate the results, if I can't have confidence that that bottom line is continue to repeat, it's really hard for me to say yes to an opportunity to buy. Right, right. Uh, I'm glad that we put a little bit more into that because yeah, it's like it's almost like this component is a two-parter it's like can we do we believe that if we come in and like don't do anything else it'll do the same if not a little bit better next year like that's that's in a way some of the mental gymnastics a buyer is probably looking at and then the buyers the second part of it is like okay so if we can confirm like if no one leaves and maybe some people will leave but we're going to be ready to start hiring and recruiting and all that from day one right away yeah. In case some people are scared off with a new partner, a new buyer, a new boss, whatever it might be. So then the second part is like, okay, then with whatever our operational excellence is, with billing, revenue cycle management, with adding private pay services, with adding some maybe recurring revenue component, some you know monthly membership type service, whatever it might be, those types of things, adding in a sales process that's probably not documented. And maybe the front desk person is kind of just like freestyling the phone calls each time. And then with that, it's like that second part is like, then it's how can we grow it even more? So I'm glad that we just spent a little bit more time on that. Yeah, absolutely. It's a it's an important consideration for buyers. It still builds on that basis of the yes answer, right? Can I duplicate the results? I would prefer to be able to say I can even improve on those results. Uh, but if I can't say yes to the to the question, then it's really tough to make an offer. Right. Third question, can you document your results? If you can't prove it, it didn't happen, right? And again, this is one of those things that is somewhat industry dependent. Uh, there are some industries, if, if I have a, an online store and all of my sales happen through Amazon, the ability to document those sales is, is pretty locked in. Uh, then you've got... Uh, more cash-based businesses where you get the wink-wink, nudge-nudge kind of thing that happens. And you run into to sellers who are surprised when they learn that they can't have their cake and eat it too. This one breaks down really straightforward. It's uh, You, you want to keep clean records. And that that is a function of, of really two things. Um, Dave, I don't know if you've ever had the opportunity where, you know, the you're having the meeting with the potential seller, and then they pull you aside and say, "Well, let me show you the second set of books." There is that. Uh, you'd ask me when I first started doing this how often that comes up. I would say it was really rare. I have since learned that that's simply not the case. Uh, I can 
I could tell you story after story of personal interaction I've had in those kinds of situations. And it is a, uh, um, it's an interesting story and it's a deal killer, right? Because what owners who play that game forget is that when you admit to me that you lie to the IRS, I have to assume that you're willing to lie to me, right? right? Because they can put you in jail and I can't. And so what would keep you from just cutting a little bit off in terms of the truth of what you're telling me? So I've had those circumstances where I've seen a business, I've been interested, and then the owner has played that wink, wink, nudge, nudge game. And I find that the trust completely disappears from the relationship, right? So, I mean, there's that element of this keep clean records piece. But I think much more common and much more important for owners is that too many times record keeping becomes a second, third, or fourth priority on the list. And we deal sometimes understandably with things that are more pressing and we get to the end of the year and there's a box of receipts and it just doesn't translate properly. Or we've got handshake deals with our primary vendors, right? Or we've we don't have employment contracts or all of these things that solidify these relationships that document the results that we claim that we that we give. And unless we can codify that stuff, unless we can prove it, it makes it really difficult for a potential buyer to trust and uh, assume that the, the results that you're claiming are real. Right. Now, when we're talking about the three Ds, First one, again, as a recap, are your results desirable? Is it really like if a buyer or so now the seller is looking at reflecting on their practice, their business, if the results are not desirable, maybe they don't even know. I don't know. But is the results, the desirability of the results, is that like a stopping point or all three of these like a three-legged stool? Meaning if you took one away, it's the whole thing is going to fall through and you need all three equally. Is Are the results more favored in percentages, or is it like 33% for each of these three? The truth of the matter is, if you can't give a strong yes to all three questions, then your ability to sell your business is in massive doubt. And 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 let's do it. Is let's use that three-legged stool, right? Let's say I have fabulous results, right? I'm making bank, but I can't prove to you that I am. Who cares? right? Vice versa, if I can document every transaction and I'm able to prove definitely to you that I lose big money every year, what's the point of the second, you know, of the third? Yes. So absolutely. you. What you want to do as a small business owner, from my perspective, all the, again, all the complexity aside, all the programs, this, that, and the other, start here. Start with getting three straightforward yes answers to these questions and you have the base foundation to be able to sell your business. If you don't have this, if you don't, if you can't give these yeses, I don't know how you move forward with a transaction. Right. Now, you're not a broker or advisor. You're a coach at ExitOasis.com, your platform and company that you founded. Is this something that practice owners, I, I feel like some of these things, they could ask themselves and they should, but do you find that a lot of business owners need assistance from you or maybe a broker or advisor to ensure that they're, they are themselves and their practice or their business is ready for the market and ready to be sold. What are your thoughts around that? 
I know that we've created good results with the with the clients that we work with, but I also believe that this is a process that owners can start to engage themselves. Really, it's about changing your perspective on your business, and that's the uh, that's the three D perspective, right? That's the three D goggles. How do I look at my business differently than I normally do as an owner? I've met owners that do this very successfully on on their own. I've met owners that. Um, truly benefit from the shortcut that gets provided by someone, you know, bringing someone who's experienced this to the table to to help in that process. I don't care which way you do it. I mean that honestly. That the the thing that drove me into this space was having gone through the experience myself of running a business for ten years, growing to zero to fifty full time employees, and realizing I hadn't created a business I had I could sell. And I was like. How could I have gotten this so wrong? And it came back to those three basic questions. It's like, that's where I needed to start. That's where I needed to have that focus. And so it was a journey I took myself. I know other owners can do the same, but I also think there can be huge benefit and huge time savings uh, and more efficiencies if you bring someone to the table to help. What was that business or industry with uh, 50 employees where? you really didn't have the 3D framework. It was not, you know, desirable or sellable. Yeah, we we provided back office support services, accounting, uh, executive director, uh, those types of services to nonprofits and schools. So professional services company uh, focus in, focusing on that back office support. So I had the infrastructure, I had the operations, and I had all of those core problems that create a business that buyers find unattractive, too owner dependent, not enough cash flow. Again, those some of those core issues addressed in these questions. Got it. And so you had yourself wrapped around too much of the main roles and responsibilities of actually fulfilling the services as opposed to like delegating or what are some other ways that owners can kind of learn from your story and your experience there that kind of tripped you up? You know, the funny thing when you ask that question, Dave, is that I realize it's the core of the conversations we just had, right? It's the team. It's the systems. It's moving this stuff out of your own head. It's recognizing that the more dependent this business is on you, the more you carry the burden of being the guy that's making decisions and doing stuff. And that might feed your ego, but it kills your ability to do a deal. Right. It's, it's those core elements that, that get reflected in those questions that really ended up killing my ability after a decade of ownership. So that next five years for me were making some basic changes in the business. So I could answer yes to the basic questions. Got it. Appreciate you, uh, going into that and, and getting a little vulnerable there, just bringing back some old stories about your oh, experiences. Cause, because I know based on, I based can on tell emotion, you stories, Dave, I know based on the emotion and the tonality of your voice, you know, the audience, everyone can kind of hear and watch like that. It's so genuine that you went through that. And this is why we're covering this type of stuff because practice owners might be like head in the sand, like, just in the trenches doing the day to day and not really not stepping back and realizing these types of questions that need to be figured out and answered in a positive way, meaning a yes, 
if they want to eventually exit and sell. Now, if you don't want to, okay, fine. Keep yourself in the trenches, keep doing the, the, you know, grinding it out in the day to day. And that's fine. If you love that, that's fine. But if you do want to eventually pass the business on to someone in your family, your COO, some, you know, right-hand person at your business, whatever it might be, these things need to be figured out and you need to have a yes to these three questions. Absolutely. It, it helps the sellability, but it also helps the ownability, right? It, it, you know, w- we might like to be the center of the wheel, but the truth of the matter is the burden that that puts on an owner and the, the scar tissue it creates, these changes that create a business that you can sell also create a business that are fantastic to own. And, and truly, it's the reason I don't work on commission because I've had too many owners go through this process start to create a business that they could actually sell, they fall back in love with the business and decide to keep it. And what I had to come to realize is that's a fabulous outcome, right? Because a a business that's ready to sell is one that doesn't need you there every day, that creates good financial results, that all of these factors, and you're like, well, why would I get rid of that? Well, fabulous. That's a wonderful outcome. Or you can put it on the market, sell it, and achieve your goals for exit. So it really was a transformation for me to change fundamentally the way I look at the business. And that's that's what was the, the genesis of the idea of around a 3D view of your business, right? You got to look at it differently than you do. Perfect place to pause for now. Mike, that was awesome. ExitOasis.com, what's a good place, whether the website, LinkedIn, email address, what's a good place for anyone in the audience to reach out to you if they want some of this help, some coaching, some assistance in uh, figuring out their situation. ExitOasis.com is a great place to check us out. And I'm very active in this space on LinkedIn. So if you just want to watch and learn, let's connect on LinkedIn and learn more about the topic. So thank you again, Dave, for the opportunity. I enjoyed our conversation. Excellent. Anyone watching, listening, if you guys find this helpful and valuable or insightful, Subscribe to The Dave Kittle Show on YouTube, iTunes, and Spotify so you'll be notified of new episodes like this one as they're published. Mike, thank you so much. Hey, it's Dave Kittle. Are you a healthcare business owner or physical therapy practice owner who is looking to figure out your succession plan or exit strategy? We might be able to help. And in fact, we may be interested in acquiring your practice. If you're interested, you can reach out to me. Shoot me an email at dave at conciergepainrelief.com. That's D-A-V-E at C-O-N-C-I-E-R-G-E, painrelief.com. Or you can call me at any time, 646-781-8884.